Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. It is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform their revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Hannah Ajikawa. I think I said that right. I'm pretty sure I said that right. Yes, I did. Okay, great. We met a while ago on a podcast together with Tickle and had such a great conversation about sales and marketing and sales marketing alignment and the revenue funnel and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I had to have her back on the show to continue the conversation. Literally, we did not want to stop recording, but my tickle was like, this cannot be a two-hour podcast episode. So yeah. we, at some point, you're going to have to stop talking. But I wanted to share a little bit about her and then give her some time to share about herself. But I think she's going to give us a great perspective on what is on the forefront of sell, selling and sales in general and B2B and also hopefully offer us some guidance and tips and tricks that you as a sales leader can impart on your sales team. So quick things. She's a CEO and founder of Revenue Funnel. We'll get into hopefully at some point, dive into the new venture that she's launched and what she's doing there. And then she's also the European lead for assistance and sales, which as I understand it, is an organization dedicated to increasing diversity, specifically with women of color within sales and sales leadership. So doing a lot of work there that we may also get into toward the end of our conversation. So Hannah, I want to get out of the way and let you introduce <laughs> yourself to folks. So for those that may or may not know you, and then we'll dive into the content. No, thank you. And thank you for getting my surname right. I always say it's phonetically exactly what you see. So just kind of go back to school and look at it. And it, it sounds yeah. as correct. I just always want to be respectful of people's names because like, I don't know, it's a big it's a big deal to me. So It is. It's, it's definitely our identity. So thank you. And yes, we met last year. It was actually amazing. I was like, let's keep doing this. So thank you for inviting me on. Of course. So for context, I've only ever known sales. I left school, went studying criminology and social policy. My first thing was that I wanted to, I really felt like I knew something that nobody else knew about how we can fight youth crime. And I was like, that was my thing. And then I realized it, it yeah, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to make money doing this. So let me go out and make money. And sales kind of found me at a career fair. So I've always done that. And I'm in my 15th year and I've gone through every role that you could have as a salesperson from junior rep through to leadership and in the last five to seven years, I think I kind of like got out of just cruising through sales and I started to get more interested in like what is actually happening in sales, what's happening in revenue in general, and really like what are the constructs that define what makes an organization successful or not. So I've been doing more consulting through the second half of my career and that's led me to create Revenue Funnel. So I kickstarted Revenue Funnel this year. So I'm sorry to date it, but it's early 2023 as we're recording. And uh, the whole purpose of Revenue Funnel is to help companies to retain more revenue inside their funnel. So at the moment, funnel by definition is kind of shrinking things down. But I'm like, how about we expand that? And it's based around two fundamental axioms. One, if we spend more time intricately understanding the way that we, what customers need at every part of their buying journey, then we can facilitate and serve them better. And if we do that, we'll give them more of what they need and they will, and we'll hopefully translate that into coins. And the other thing is if we look at where we win and we go where we win more often, we will piss off less people and hopefully be more successful at the same time. Yeah. So 
everything that I do around revenue funnel is helping companies to define those two things and help their teams to deliver on that. Yeah, I love it. So it's okay that you dated it. It's fine. But I love that you are focused on this topic because a lot of the work that I've done with talking across sales and marketing is really centered around customer centricity, customer journey. And part of that coaching is breaking down the stages and marketing's initial intent is to like, what content can we throw here? And like, what we need to do? And I'm like, stop. What Mm. is the thing that the buyer needs to feel confident to transition to the next stage? And that will dictate what you give them in order for you to actually make a difference. Because I can feed you content that makes sense in the stage all day. doesn't mean it's going to trigger you to take an action to move forward in the buying process. And I think that's where, you know, I think my sales background kicks in as a marketer is that I'm like, okay, that's cool. We can get them interested. But like, how do we actually get them closer to be like, oh, this might actually be right for me. Let me now, you know, go to the consideration stage or whatever that next stage is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really important that you're talking about this. I'm glad that you're focused on this this work. Yeah, completely. And I think in what I've done over the last, probably after having my son, he's almost six, was I had this like epiphany, this moment where I was like, what? is going on around me. Like what, what's happening? I just like this awakening where I had to just get my stuff together. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to swear. I'm going to swear. I can't. It's okay. I don't um, care. I'm like, I need, I need to get my shit together. And, and a big part of that was thinking about like, what, what am I here for? Did you notice that purpose finding that journey you go on where you start to look inwards? Yeah. And then you start to realize the more you look inwards, the more success you start to see. And the reason why that happens is because of you start to become more aligned to what you think your purposes. So for me, I was like, what ignites a fire in me? What gets me excited? What do I enjoy? What do I spend most of my time doing? And I'm like, I just like helping people. I genuinely get a lot from supporting people, helping switch on light bulbs, helping people challenge how they think about things and looked for moments to create those impacts. And that's why when I found Chantel George, the CEO and founder of Sisters in Sales, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've never seen other people like me in those positions. That's what I experienced most of my career. What can I do to change that? So how can I create an impact? And it's still tied to sales. It's still what I love and live and breathe. So I look for moments of alignment. So that's how everything starts to come together. So for me, you know, I've done, I don't know, probably 24,000 hours of consulting. And I just have these very fundamental beliefs about the way in which we interact with buyers that I just have to take on my own and own it. Yeah. And be wholly accountable for seeing it through. So that I, I'm like, thank you for all the other opportunities. Everybody that's hired me, I love it. Yeah. I've learned a lot. This has to be something that I do and I drive. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So it wasn't necessarily the topic of focus that <laughs> we were planning to talk about. But I think it's an important one because I had the very same moment, I guess I would have been seven years ago. And it's one of the reasons that I started Sales and Marketing Alignment, the work I did. I wrote mm-hmm. a book and that sort of thing because I was frustrated because I had a unique POV. I started my career in sales. I transitioned into marketing. And part of the, the reason, and I don't know if everybody knows this, if you read the book, you do, that I transitioned to marketing was to selfishly advocate for, for salespeople because I felt like marketing didn't understand what we actually needed. And so, you know, mm-hmm. me being the true OCD type A personality, I was like, I'm going to go back to business school and, and go to University of Chicago like, to prove that like I understand marketing. It was a little bit overkill, but it, no, I, I think I made the right decision. That's what you did. Yeah, well, that's probably what I should do. I would have saved a lot of money. But neither here nor there. But when I got to marketing, I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And it's Mm. actually that these two parts of the organization don't understand each other. So fast forward, I had that epiphany of like, I was searching for answers. Like somebody has had to figure this out. There has to be like some kind of 
flowchart or framework to online sales and marketing. And I just kept digging and digging with nothing. And one morning, and I remember this vividly, I just got up and started writing. I said, I'm just going to write, start writing a blog. And if no one looks at it or listens to it or whatever, I got at least got it out and no one will ever see it. And that's not what happened. Like it really actually started to gain traction and that gave me the confidence to start my first podcast. So I, I hear you in that there are those moments where you just really have to like lean into your purpose. And I think yep. the broader thing that I learned from the experience is that I really enjoy making connections that don't seem obvious. And I think yes. I also <laughs> love being a facilitator or broker of collaboration. I think that's where you know, stripping away sales and marketing and all, I think that's really, if I look back at my career, where I tend to gravitate towards. So I feel you and I hear you when you say that. You generally feel, com- it's not even, I always feel like it's, and it gets all into this like wishy-washy manifestation I know, right? thing, but I'm a firm believer in it, but you do feel like it, it's bigger than you. And you, yes. you're literally like, and there's an energy that's telling you, you have to go after this idea. You have to bring it to life. You're the brain and you're, it's you that had the power to create those, connect those dots. And then in time, people will say, ah, okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see it. Not everybody. And I think when I said, like, I was launching Revenue Funnel, I said, listen, it's for the few, not the many for now. I genuinely believe that yeah. there will be people that look into the things that I'm producing and say, she's just a massive idealist. I don't know if she thinks that's going to be, that's not going to work. Yeah. That's fine. But there's going to be a select few that are like, finally, somebody had the guts to say what we're doing is only producing 20 and 40% conversion rates. So wh- why are we living that for the last 15 years? That's what we do. We produce a 20 to 30% conversion rate from nobody knows about us to signed. I mean, in fact, not even this lower than that. It's 10% on average, right? From nobody knows about us to sign on a dotted line. Why is that okay? Yeah. And I think one of the, the testaments of like you really moving the needle forward is that a lot of people will ignore you or not get it or it will not resonate. And trust me, I just had a conversation with Adam Goyette. He'll be on the podcast sometime. And I think I just redated it. But he talks about feeling like you're speaking into the wind. And in the early stages of talking, like like I was like, this is so obvious to me that sales and marketing should work together. Like it just was a no brainer to me. Like I would talk Mm. and write and people were just like, huh? Well, Well, yeah, but that I was like, but like, these are the two like most connected to revenue functions in the business. Mm-hmm. And you have them siloed and they're not talking to each other. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's crazy. It's one goal. It's one team with different responsibilities. Yes. We just give it to us because we like labels and that's how we as humans like to define things. We have to attach a label to something. Yeah. Someone carries a quota. Someone's helping to influence the quota, but you still have a quota. That's another story about marketing. No quotas. I'm not going to get that's another, <laughs> that's another podcast episode. <laughs> uh, trust me, I've, I've taken a hit on that one a couple of times. Uh, but I finally, there was research, uh, I think it came out in 2016. It was, uh, I forgot the team, but anyway, but the minute they produced that research and I read it and, and agree with me about the, the fact that marketing has historically been a call center and that they actually should have their variable uh, compensation tied to revenue goals. I was like, see, I'm not crazy. There's proof. It's not just me. It's not just Duff yeah. Davis saying like your money should be tied to these revenue goals, marketers. And I am a marketer. So I'm speaking yeah. for us as collective. But you mentioned about the 10% conversion rate or just a low conversion rate in, in general. Yeah. So what are some of the top things or top challenges that you're seeing in B2B sales that really mm-hmm. like sales leaders should be aware of or you know, let's acknowledge what's going on. Just put those on the boards of these are the things right now that are the biggest challenges. 
So there's a stat that goes around and it gets recycled a lot around sell people are spending 60% of their time not selling, mm-hmm. right? We hear that a lot. Now, there's going to be part of the reason of that is because you are going to have some salespeople that are not good. However you define that, that's just, not, they're not that, right? But the other half is going to be very simply because you have created a strategy, which is something that I call a sales to market strategy. You are telling sales to go figure out your market. So they spend a lot of time figuring it out doing the research, trying to find the target addressable market, trying to find the right types of people inside the organization, trying to find stuff rather than executing on something that comes from the top that says, this is where we're at. This is where we win. This is what we're going to do. Go and do it. And I say that because I've been in both environments. I've been in an environment where I sold the whole day, right? We couldn't send emails. I mean, email wasn't a big thing 11 years ago in sales. You probably know that, right? Yeah. Just on the phone. That's all oh, you, got show, on the phone. you showed up and you That's had a it. conversation. Yeah. That was it. You showed up just literally like, hey, here's a business park. Got one meeting there. I'm going to try and get three meetings there. Yeah. Or you got on the phone. Right. So we we were always selling. We weren't sitting there figuring out stuff, but that's because companies had much like restricted offerings. We didn't have this broad offering that you could kind of manipulate for a gazillion different types of things. We usually had solutions that solved one particular problem. We broke down our divisions based on that product. If you think the big, big tech companies, but now we spin up software, we get the funding, we hire a team and we're like, we win somewhere else. And we're like, this is for the world. (laughs) Go and sell to the world. And the companies that win over and over again, and there's so many success stories around this, is the ones that are like, we did really good here. We're just going to stay here until we own it. Yep. You look at across the chasm. I mean, there's books about this. <laughs> Why are we doing everything at once, right? So I think that's the biggest thing. And it's, it's a recycled stat, but we're not unpacking it. We're just like, oh, it's because they're, they don't know what they're, they're wasting time. It's like, well, we're going in, we're setting minimal expectations other than a quota. We're not defining what they should be doing. And we're saying, go figure it out. And you sh- you're, if you're a hard, persistent, tenacious, ambitious, curious individual, you should be able to figure it out. But I'm not selling if I'm just trying to figure stuff out all the time right. for you, CEO, CRO, et cetera. And that's yeah. what I see over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And it actually, it ties into kind of what I argue around. There are things when you look at the relationship between marketing and sales that marketers should be doing because we naturally are good at it. So you take the case of like social selling, right? I, as a sales leader, don't want my sellers researching what articles they should be sharing or what quote they should be pulling from an article. Like that is stuff that should be coming from marketing and saying like, here's a toolkit for this month. We think these are relevant links, articles, whatever for your target audience. Use them as you see fit, personalize them, whatever. That to me is a better use of people's time. And that will relieve that burden of salespeople having to do all this intense research and finding. Yep. There is some pre-call planning and things that sellers should be doing. I agree with you. But yeah. Yeah, I think what you're hitting on is that there's this level of deep research that is required in order for sellers to make these personalized outreach and that sort of thing, which should somehow be facilitated throughout other parts of the organization. Yeah, I like that. Now that people are, so you just mentioned research, right? And when people start getting into doing a lot of outbound and they're using automation tools, there's a lot of narrative around how much time should I be spending on research and research? And I think it's a really good question. But secondly, what it does is it reminds us, particularly sales leaders, revenue leaders in general, that we are actually not really good at setting expectations. And when someone said, what's one of the things sales leaders should be doing? They asked me on this like 60 seconds thing, like what's one thing that sales leaders should be doing? right now to help improve their rep's performance. And I said, setting clear expectations. The clearest expectation we give as sales leaders very often is quota. Okay. The next one is make sure I can see you online because you're virtual. And then we kind of say like, 
set these, you know, we expect this, we have KPIs, but then it's like, what are the mechanics that make up those things? So if someone said, you're saying, Hey, I should be doing 10 meetings a month. If I'm out all day and I'm like, I will get those meetings by being out on the streets. And like, is that an expect, is that allowed? But what we do is we allow stuff to go wrong when we don't see the performance and say, well, what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. Is that what well, the way that I saw and defined my success was by doing these things. And you get, so I either have the freedom to do it as a lone wolf and let me go do these things that are going to get those KPIs and those results, or I set clear expectations on the reverse, which is these are the things I expect from you. And oftentimes you ask that question. And the question I pose to sales leaders is, can you tell me with 100% confidence that your team know exactly what they need to do to hit quota? And nobody ever says yes. And it's like, that's where we start. (laughs) Go get very, very clear. So I find that, I find stuff like that really interesting when you're talking about, you know, what patterns do I see, which is like inside this B2B sales environment where things start to go a little bit south. Yeah. And so let's unpack that a little bit. So when you're talking about clear expectations, are you talking about the activities that are expected, the the number of touch points, like to what granularity or, or what, what are you advising these sales mm. leaders on as far as getting specificity and clarity on expectations yeah. for sellers? Yeah. So I know there's like that whole assume thing, right? And it makes it almost like you and me, but you, I don't know. I feel like today there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of things that people should be doing. And you go on LinkedIn as a salesperson and you're like, oh my God, that person just told me they made a million on their W2. Like, what? I'm nowhere near that. So they're trying to figure out all these things. Now, when I'm talking about expectations, it actually does come down to telling people things that we might assume that they're thinking already. And that's what I was talking about. Assume like you should know that when you are in a sales engagement, you have to find out who the economic buyer is and you have to find out these things. It's like, I didn't know that. Just kind of like being successful, like complete unconscious competence. I mean, like unconscious <laughs> competence, but I don't even know. It's right, right? right. A lot of people don't know the patterns that make them successful or not. So it's just making sure there is one time at a minimum that you say, listen, this is what is expected here. Yeah. This is what I expect of you character-wise. This is what I expect of you competence-wise. These are the things, the tasks, the activities, but we leave people to do too much and figure it out and we wait until things go wrong. And as you get into more complex environments, right, it could be as, something as important as when you have a deal of a certain size or when you have an engagement of a certain size, yeah. we have a business value team. Go to them. They will make you... 30% increase your chance of closing by 30%. We wait until the deal gets really south. So like, why don't you use the business value team? I didn't know. I learned so much during onboarding. I didn't know that team was there. I forgot. Right. Right. It's just those really small things, but they make a difference. They really make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you made me think of an instance. So this is kind of a two part thinking that your response sparked. So for those that, that may or may not know, so I started my career in healthcare sales. So actually I work for Pfizer. Pfizer has a really, really robust sales program. I'm assuming they still do to the point where like, if you don't pass it, you lose your job. <laughs> like you have to graduate and present to the regional yep. leadership in order mm-hmm. for them to stamp for approval. You're okay to be in the field, which is great. Cause I mean, we're selling to physicians. We're talking about things that are really important. But the other side of that, I went we worked with a smaller organization and I had a hybrid role, you know, biz, biz dev in marketing. And I got there and I was like, Oh, okay. So what are we selling? Like, what are the discrete products so I can understand and go like, oh, everything is custom. I said, I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what? I'm sorry. So can you give me a list of the things we sell? No. Oh, okay. Gosh. That's interesting. And I said, okay, well, cool. Well, what's the, like, where's the pricing? Like, these are like standard questions. And it was a small organization, right? So I knew going in, there's going to be some level of like, 
part of the reason I was brought in is to, to kind of bring some things together. But I thought fundamentally we were on the same page. Clearly we weren't. Clearly we weren't. So I was like, oh, where's our, you know, our pricing sheet? But we don't have that. Okay. <laughs> so checkbox, checkbox. Okay, we'll have that conversation. So do we have any like whatever type of accounts we're selling to? That's all over the place. Yeah. And so what to your point was like, Luckily, I was more senior in my career when I went into that experience, right? Yes. And so I had to figure some things out, but I had some context because I had that strong training from Pfizer. But as a junior salesperson, being thrown into that, like there's no way. Like you got to figure yeah. out what product I'm selling you, what the price is, it, which no one knew. There was no one to go to. You just have to talk amongst yourself and figure out a price. I said, this is crazy. Yep. But, and, and that's an extreme example. But I think that's what you're hitting on is that you're not really coaching these people up enough to have like the baseline expectations or skill set expectation, understanding of expectations to really mm. be able to push these deals through effectively and know when to pull certain triggers. Exactly that. And it ties into when you get clarity on the expectations as well, of what's needed to execute on and drive a customer process, then you'll also know how to hire for that right profile. What okay. people do is they hire, particularly in this climate, and I mean, we're going to see that shift, right? But we hire a lot of people that are good salespeople. We, have, we don't understand our expectations ourselves yet, right? We know we've got this big goal. We have to do 40, 40, 30, 30, 20, 20, whenever it is in growth. But yeah. um, we hire these people into this thing and then we start to get the processes and the methodologies and the expectations. And it's like, that's a misalignment. So if you don't have clarity on these expectations, okay, but you need to hire someone that's resourceful and curious and has great initiative. Yeah. Like yourself coming into that environment where you said, I have no pricing, products are all over the place, and this is the situation. So I have to figure that out, right? Whereas you can't, there's going to be some people that are really great salespeople, but they, they work in an environment that is rigid. Correct. And that's the expectation you set with them. And they're like, I can execute if you tell me exactly what I need to do. Right. No problem. But we get that mismatch wrong. So really poor expectation setting and then we bring people into environments that are a complete mismatch. And there are, and we have to realize there are different types of salespeople. Like you can be good at sales, but not be the right fit for it, the product, the stage of the organization. Like I did a lot of coaching with early stage startups and we talk about kind of these coin operated salespeople, which I think you're alluding to of if you give them a plan and you tell them exactly what to do, they will execute like no other. They yeah. will hit all their targets. They will call everybody. They will follow up all that stuff. But if you're an early stage company that's squishy and you don't know, and really the CEO hasn't figured out what the product market fit is, you put one of those people in that position. It is a disaster because there is too much ambiguity and you have to be super curious and not get frustrated when you call on people and they're like, we don't want this. This is not a fit. You have to take that as feedback to say like, okay, look, here are all the people I called or talked to this week. I segmented it out and it looks like really our target market is X, not Z. So I'm going to focus on the, like that is a different type of salesperson that's more yeah. consultative. I think the, the terminology is like, a, um, I forgot the word. There's a term associated with that, but it's a different type of person. But you put that same person in that coin operated role and they get frustrated. Yeah. They're like, this is boring. I was stuck. Yeah, yeah. It's boring. Exactly. And that's the thing. So we, we just got to recognize those patterns. We have to recognize the expectations. We have to recognize those really small pieces around how we're focusing at, and understand the role that we play in actually making sure that people are doing the things that we need them to do. So don't keep complaining that they're spending 60% of their time not selling if you haven't given them something to sell, yeah. <laughs> given them a strategy that's executable. All of those small things. <laughs> and the topic of value, so shifting a little bit, topic mm. of value I think it's becoming more and more talked about. And I think a lot of it's born out of just this old school features and benefits, features and benefits, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, I need Good. you to prove it right. <laughs> I need you to give me something so that I can feel like 
it is worth my time talking to you. So from your perspective, what is today's buyer finding as value? Like, How do they see value? And I I speak so much about this. I think I put up a post that literally said I'm bullish on customer value. And I say that's just very timely. But the reason I say that is because value is, particularly in today's world where we're so, we are, I mean, sometimes we are falling down the waterfall. Like we, boat's gone, we're just falling. And we're like, what is going on from day to day? Other times we have more balance and we're structured and all the winds and all the elements are supporting us. So I feel like value value is quite fluid and it's okay if we understand and we kind of accept a, a core definition around it. So when I think about value, value is about worth, right? Okay. Our worth is relative. Worth is relative based on what, what your belief system or, or, and also on what you deem to be important in general, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's what you deem to be important in the second. That's kind of what it is. And that's where the challenge is. So what we do at the moment when we talk about value is we go on so many assumptions and we believe that because somebody has nodded that this means that this value proposition, this value, they're receiving value. Value is theoretical until it's realized. And the only way that we can start to get closer to value is by understanding, hey, prospect, hey, organization, what is your critical priority? Yeah. Here lies the first challenge. Most companies particularly in this high growth tech sector that everybody's trying to sell to, are not fantastic at building focus. Okay. When we're talking about strategy, we're talking about focusing in one direction. We're focusing on one winnable goal and one obstacle that we're trying to remove in order to get there. Most companies are like, it's, always, it's a moving target. Yeah. We have this big goal. We have revenue. It's always revenue. It's always make more money. It's always growth. But then there's something else, which is a, this thing, this tactical thing that they're trying to get do in order to overcome an obstacle that's going to get them closer to it. Mm-hmm. And most companies, when you ask them, they're like, we're kind of doing this this year. We're kind of doing that this year. So we as salespeople have to educate a lot of prospects on how they think about getting and narrowing down, which is hard because we end up being these like consultants and these big trusted advisors. And we're like, I'm not really an educator on your industry. But value is about what is important. We get that importance. Then we say, this is what, this is worth my time. It's all relative. And that's where value comes from. Yeah. We don't enable people to understand that. We don't, we don't work with salespeople to really unpack that as well at all. So today, to answer your question, how does a prospect see value is it's, it's when they get very narrow on what is a critical priority, how that is something that is, it's not just their priority, it's a company priority. And then them understanding their role in that. Because once they understand their role and we're here, everything we're doing is talking to them, which is driving value for their customer, yep. their company, sorry, that they're working in. So a lot of companies don't ever go into that level of detail around value. They say, this is what we do. A value proposition is a promise to deliver on something, right? So here's our value proposition and we're going to build it. We'd help you do this, which can help you do this. Great. That's just an assumption because we don't know that yet. We know from what we've done historically, but you are your unique entity. Jeff Davis Limited, right, is a unique entity. So I may have sparked your interest or curiosity because you're like, how does kind of talk and to get all of this stuff? This is, let me talk to her. But now my job is to understand what are the critical priorities for you, Jeff? Like, what is the thing that you have to do this year? End off. Yeah. It has to be done in these milestones in this time. And then I start to understand what's important to you. And then what you start to capture from me is because I'm bringing that value proposition as close to your reality, you start to perceive me as someone that can drive value for you because it's starting to, it's gone from, Oh, that sounds good too. This sounds really good based on what I need right now. Now my job is to help you unpack how realistic that is of achieving with me as your partner. 
that thing. So I've got this objective, you've got this proposition, we bring it together. It seems real. I need it to feel more real. And this is where we get into unpacking how much time it's going to take to make it real. Okay. Okay. How much resources are required to make it real? How much effort, mental effort, physical effort is required to make it real? And then how much I've got to pay? How much is this going to cost me? Right. All we do is we obsess over cost. Challenger found very long time ago. Nobody really cares about that. They'll find the money. We always find if the money. Value, right? find the money. We might do time to value, but then we don't even know what value means. We define it as a company. If they do these things in our system, it means they've got value. Nah, I mean, ask them. They probably say, not yet, dude. <laughs> right? We don't do time very well. We don't unpack time. We say that you'll get set up in three months, but then we that setup may require other resources. Oh, okay. So what do I need to set it up? Because that's going to impact time. Right. Oh, you're going to need three people internally and an engineer and one of our pre-sales consultants. So it all starts to, oh, then that's going to cost me more. Like if we get really good internally in our organizations of building our value story, what are the intricate pieces? It's going to be really hard for people to say no to us because we know that we're going where we drive that intricate value that indisputable value. So when it's, again, I'm going to go back to your question, like what, is, what does value mean and how do we receive it? It's me as a prospect saying the value that you can bring to me is indisputable because it's important and you've tied it to that. And every aspect of value, that time, effort, resources piece makes sense. I get it. Yeah. It's clear. We don't do that at all. You know, one thing you said about the value prop also made me think of that value is relative to where they are in the buyer's journey. Of course. And so if mm-hmm. you are only mapping to your value prop and they haven't been convinced that this is their problem or that this even this category of solutions is right, you're not providing the right value nope. to the mindset and where they are in their journey. So I think that also, to your point, is a problem because you're like, oh, we do this and we do this. Well, I haven't been convinced that this category of... Well, first of all, I haven't been convinced that I clearly understand what my problem is. Let's start there. Exactly. So, Let's stop. Because there's so many people you come in, it's like, oh, I saw this and I think you'd be a great fit for our product, but you haven't done the due diligence to to help me understand and get clarity on like actually what your problem is, X, Y, Z. And this is the type of solutions that are appropriate for that. Let's talk about then now how we are different than competitors or whatever, but there's some legwork that needs to happen before that I think people are just jumping to to brand and what our product is. And I think that spot on, right? You have to understand people, value is going to mean different things at different times. I always use the example of I'm going to now respond to accountants at the time that I need to submit my tax returns and at the time that I need to sort out my corporation tax. Oh my gosh, I need somebody now to fix this for me. And I'll probably pay it over the odds because the time is critical. Yeah. I don't want to get fronting. Different value. But you told me at the front, well, past the accounting period, I'm like, yeah, I'll, just, I'll leave that off. You have to help me recognize this, the problem, the fact that I'm going to be really busy at the end of my financial year too. Yeah. To also, so how do you bring that? Pro- and that's when you start to add urgency. But that doesn't come from, I'm going to give you a discount because I don't care about a discount. It comes from me accepting and understanding the problem as you explained Jeff like once I've accepted that there is an issue a challenge or an opportunity then I'm like okay let me now my ears are open I'm disarmed I'm going to listen to you but until then I'm going to be like I don't whatever you say you're just trying to sell to me Uh because I'm so like all my barriers are up what is the but what is the balance for sales leaders because you'll hear like a lot of sellers say you know I try to talk about value and I try to talk about this but I keep getting pressured from sales leadership to get more book more meetings, 
talk about product. Like, what is that balancing act of giving sellers enough breadth and time to educate versus like forcing them to like book a meeting and close? Like, what does that look like? And I, it's obviously different for different industry, but I, I've continued to hear yeah. that sales coaching needs to give more room for sellers to be able to do this sort of work. Yeah, it's very true. And one of the challenges and that dynamic is just the way that we incentivize things, right? Okay. We're still incentivizing the wrong things across the across sales teams or revenue teams in general. So people won't do things. I have explicitly heard customer success managers say to me, because I work with everybody, every team, right? Say, I, I would do this, but I don't get paid for it. So I should know. What's the point? Funny how everything goes back to incentives. Yeah, I'm not kind of bothered, right? And it's like, this is wild, right? But I think the way, so we have to think, figure out the way in which we incentivize things. And that has lots of financial implications. And I'm not going to even act like I under, understand all the intricacies of complaining to that degree. So that's one thing. The other thing sales leaders have to do is firstly hire people they trust, but then extend that trust to them. So if you, we want them to drive a certain outcome. And I've had some really good leaders. I've had two that have allowed me to be free in the past. I'm talking seven, eight, nine years ago, where they've said, honey, you're not going to enough meetings. And I'm like, I have the highest conversion rate. I don't need to. And they're like, no, I would. They were like, that meeting's not going to count. And I would literally be like, I don't care. And that's because I would not go to a face-to-face meeting if I felt like it was going to be a waste of my time. Okay. Because my territory was so far and I just had to wipe out the whole day. I'm like, I prefer to do this meeting over WebEx. Yeah. Before all the fancy tech, it was WebEx, right? No offense, WebEx. But it was... It was WebEx and I'm like, I'm going to do a WebEx call. And if I feel like I can feel something here and they, they've already accepted their problem and they get it, I'll go see them. And he's like, it's not going to count. I'm like, well, then it's going to knock a meeting off. But I'm saving the company travel time this time. Right. All the, but companies won't see that. It's like these metrics. So that's so you need to give people the space. Particularly, you know, you have to earn your strike. I had to do stuff first for my manager to trust me. Give them space to uh, and trust them to do some things themselves. Mm-hmm. And long as they're working towards the outcome, so you see the pipe build and you're like, okay, there's good opportunities coming in, in her weird and wonderful way, but you have to give them that space. And I think that's something that we don't do. And also a big thing that I am focusing on now, Jeff, is helping companies to transition away from a sales process mindset to a customer engagement process mindset. Mm. So the fundamental difference is, to your point that you mentioned earlier in summary was if we basically look at the core stages that a buyer goes through from that sort of like awareness through to advocacy, so getting our customers to get us more customers, and we understand to the best of our ability what they need and how we can serve them at each of those stages, then guess what? It will be a no-brainer to understand the reasons behind why your salesperson are, is doing these things at the awareness stage, yeah. where they're like, boss, this person doesn't get it yet. So I have to spend time here with them because that's the role that I'm serving them, what they need. So when Jeff comes and says, yeah, I don't, I don't really see this, right? It's like, okay, let me give you the tools. These are the things that I know, the tools that you will need. Go and do these free actions internally and let me know what comes out of those. Oh, wow. And I've done that before. I've done that with somebody. That I'm like, they said, oh, you know, this person is a bit of a lone wolf and they, they think all these things are happening in the organization. So I said, go back, check yourself. Yeah. Go and check yourself. And they came back. I left that prospect. The prospect contacted me. Hey, Hannah, can we meet? You were right. This is really bad. We probably need to do something about this, right? Yep. But that acceptance allowed them to drive their customer engagement. I wasn't selling to them anymore. Yeah. I was serving them, which is, okay, right. So what you what have you found out now? Sell team are doing this. Customer success are doing that. We're not getting enough at the top of the funnels. Our discovery is bad. Yep, hear it all the time. Okay, now let's look at the impact of that. Go do these things. Okay, he's back. Yeah. Now, it's, 
So if when we do that, it would make sense for a sales leader because they're like, you are moving this forward by helping them. It might be slower, but it builds more value. So I can charge you more Yeah. because you get it. You've accepted the problem. It doesn't matter how much it costs anymore if it's going to make it at least a 5 to 10x ROI. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting you say that because I, I felt like luckily one of my best sales managers was coaching me on, you know, and I used to do, you know, it's very early in my career, sales career, I should say, to show up and spit up, right? Because... We had gone through all this training and I was there to prove to you that I knew what I was doing and that I knew my products in like one of the offices I took my DM district manager in actually put me out, actually cursed at me and threw me out. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm getting fired. And my manager was like, you know, relax, you're not getting fired. You know, what yeah. did you learn from that experience? And we really had a, like a really good coaching session on like, you've got to take the time to understand the office, what they need, what their priorities, mm-hmm. what's the style of the you know position XYZ. And so I think what I adopted and what made me successful post that experience was when I had a new customer, I would spend at least... I would say the first three to five calls, just learning about them. I mean, to the point where I was like, they were like, what's your rep for? I was like, oh, such and such product, but I'll be back next week. I just want to understand how like you're managing patients with XYZ. Like it was yeah. not about, and, and I, and that really, I'm so thankful for the experience, even though it was like I was traumatized because it happened because I really thought I was going to fire. Totally changed my perspective. And I saw it because I would see other reps come in. They're like, doctor, I'm such and such and da, 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 da. And they, it would not be about, the physician it would not be about their practice. It would not be about their patients. And my perspective mm-hmm. was, look, I, I know your patient population and you know X, Y, Z. And what I realized is that, and I'm making this up, right? You have a significant yeah. amount of you know Medicare patients. Well, what's great for you is you know X, Y, Z. And here's what I think. Think about this next time you see a patient with X, Y, Z, right? And it just was a completely different conversation. And I think the result of that was when things started to get really tight, I would always get access. I would have reps come to me like, how are you even getting in that office? I go, because I'm providing value outside of a product. I'm actually helping them think through things. I'm actually helping them get answers and solutions. And I didn't know at the time, but what I was doing was like this kind of like total office sale when I was like talking to the receptionist and like, oh, did you know about this? I didn't know what I was doing to your point. It was like, probably what is it? Unconscious confidence or whatever it is. I was just like, how, how can I help? And that wasn't yeah. always just the physician. It was like, if I helped the pharmacist and I helped the, it's all an ecosystem. But a lot of those conversations weren't about product per se. They were in service of me selling more product, but they weren't product conversations. So it changes absolutely everything. And I was saying like customer value and customer centricity can't be lip service. We really have to unpack how we deliver that because, and I think about the level of detail that goes into UX design. I mean, you've got people sitting around a table and all they're thinking about is, okay, as the, like they're thinking about even just like the website, the mouth tends to move three centimeters. Okay. What do we put there? What's the average side of a hand and an average, like they are going into what do I place right here? So the first time you move your mouse, like how far do people keep it from a keyboard? Okay. It's that far. That means it can only go 75% of the way over, which means the home button can't be too, like people are doing that. And then we're like, Hey, Hey, we do this, come into our sales process and spend 500 K. They're like, whoa, dude. Like, yeah. (laughs) And and for any salespeople, I have sat through UX research as a marketer. It's like very robust process. (laughs) It takes a long time. I mean, I sit through interviews and interviews and and, and like to your point, it is like, show us how you would actually get to this thing. And, and we're like taking notes and we're recording. Like it's a lot. I mean, if you do it right now, I don't know if everybody's 
doing it the right yeah, way. Yeah. Some people are doing it wrong. And they always say like, you would never get it wrong if you turn up to an interview or a, d- a dinner in a suit. People are like, what should I wear? What should I wear? It's like, let me take the risk that you're never going to get it wrong if you overdo right. it to that extent, right? And as long as you're not rude and all those other weird things. But if you show up in this way, then most people are going to appreciate it. Yeah. Right? They'll be like, wear a dinner jacket. Oh, I didn't know. Right. You can take it off. It's always better to be overdressed than underdressed. It is. It is. And it's the same thing inside when this whole transition from self process, which is I'm going to drag you through my process rather than customer engagement process, which is I'm going to help you move through your own process. Yeah. That's it. I'm just going to help you. And it's going to make it going to be more fun for me because in order for me to help you, I have to ask you questions. Yeah. Just like in, you walk into Walmart. Hey, can I help you? No, I'm good for now. They see you hovering around the medication. They're like, what is it you're looking for? Brilliant. Thank you. Now you are bringing value to me. But as I walked through the door, you kind of irritated me. Yeah. Unless I'm in a rush. That's when, and it's the same as B2B sales. If someone's in a rush, then they're like, I just need pricing. I need this. I need that. I need this. We, listen, I've got budget. Here's my RFI. And you're like, oh, okay, I see that you're really, you're quite far ahead. Right. But let's help give people what they need when they need it. And yes, we have to challenge and there's a little pull, but we're just so much like, I have to get you on a discovery call. I, I, I can't get you priced. Because <laughs> I don't right, get credit unless you're on the discovery call. Yeah. There we go. So before we close out, I wanted to, we talked a little bit about system sale. I want to, I want to talk about kind of your work around in, increasing diversity in sales and why diversity in sales is important. I, you know, and I, I've seen, and I know mm-hmm. the last five, uh, five or seven years, this increase in conversation around increasing diversity. And what I've seen it be is attached to the changing, changing demographic of our customers. So I wanted to kind yes. of learn a bit, a little bit about, you know, kind of your perspective on that. And then obviously the work that you're doing with systems and sales. Yeah. Uh, so no, thank you for bringing it up and kind of bringing it back to that. So as I said, a lot, the reason why I do this is simply because I just didn't see other women that look like me. So when I had people who now I understand they were my sponsors said at 23 years old, you should be a sales leader. Mm-hmm. You just think about things differently and your team, everyone in the team comes to you for help and you help them when your manager's not in you, they, you do everything. I was like, no, never, not never. Not radar. No, I literally was like, I've got 10 more years doing this. I'm fun. fun. It was never a thing. So I, I have to change that. I have to get people to, to not think they have to wait 15 years in order to even position themselves as a woman of color, a person of color in self-leadership. So that's the first thing. Now, when I work with the biggest companies on the planet, right, and it comes to around helping them to change the demographic of their sales teams, their revenue teams in general, the first thing is I don't know where they are. I can't find them. I, there's none. The second layer to that, is they are there, but there are too many Hannahs still. It's a mindset thing. There's still too many Hannahs that say, I'm not ready yet. Okay. I don't think it's possible. Still have to do these five things and prove all of these people that don't look like me wrong before I can try and take that leap. I have to prove myself here. Even if you're opening a door for me, there's a lot of that. And there's this trap mindset. I have literally spoken to women and said, you've been at that company eight years. Bloody hell, like time to go. <laughs> what are you waiting it's, for? it's not going to happen. It's, I'm like, let's leave. And, and they're like, I've just a few things that I know, you know, it's in my goals. And I want to make sure I achieve them. I said, for whom? And they were a bit like, haven't really thought about that. I said, that's the thing. I was exactly the same. I had to prove certain people wrong, tell myself that I'm good at this thing at this stage. Yeah. So there's this, so I try to work on that level because I can impact that as well and just get people to break out of that mindset as much as I can. And this whole thing about an imposter, like if you look at the definition, that can never be you, right? It's pretty much just like a bad character. You're a bad character? No, of course you're not, right? So I come back to that. So when it comes to self-leadership, there's this thing where, and it's just a reality that a lot of people are not willing to accept. Women of color have different experiences in sales. We have a lot of things that we have to unpack as we go through this journey because sales is, sales 
blow up your character and highlight you because there are moments of high tension and moments of calm. And in those moments of high tension, when we probably have things outside of work that's impacting us as well as in work, and we're like, was that because I was black? Was that because I was Asian? Is it that, that, like, there's all these things that we're thinking outside of, I need to make a gold call. Right. <laughs> My accent, whatever it is. And, and I just feel like there's all these things that happen. So with the self-leadership piece, we don't always take the traditional route. And there's, I speak to so many hiring managers and they're like, I'm going to struggle to bring this person in because they haven't done this and that. And I'm like, well, we have to find a different way to speak and engage these individuals. Yeah. It can't be the same. It, you can't think I want to attract and get different results if I'm doing the same thing. Einstein's told us that. We right. all quote it. Oh, we all quote it in our sales meeting, but we don't do it. And so companies cannot, they're not always breaking the constructs that say, how do we change the way we go after these people and identify them and invite them in? in order for them to recognize, even if you don't fit the standard trajectory, I'm going to look for and try and identify or understand how else those skills can show up and those capabilities yeah. and those results. And I'm going to, I want to show you that it's okay to come to us. So I'm always trying to help companies navigate all of those pieces, but they will say, oh yeah, Salvia is not going to have that or CRO is not going to have that. Yeah. Well, there's a problem. <laughs> well, and it, it talks to also the mindset that we go into with recruiting and hiring of Filter, trying to filter you out and find reasons why you won't work versus trying to map what you have and seeing if it's a fit. It, they're slightly different, but I think to your point, the latter allows you to be more expansive and to see more people as viable options. Now, are they all going to work? No. But when you are looking for reasons or looking for capabilities that are transferable to your organization and trying to find like, Okay, can we fit this person here? Good. This might work. You're going to be more apt to hire people that don't look like everybody else. Cause, you know, for, and I would say this probably extends outside of textbook tech, but tech is notorious for it. It's hired by proxy. It's like we hired this person. They worked out. They did well. So let's just hire more of that person, which you yep. then are befuddled by why your organization all looks like the same people <laughs> because you literally are like copy and paste, copy and paste. Yep. Copy paste. I mean, I've worked in organizations where they have said they don't want to hire the same person. And then they, most of the sales team bar me were from private schools and some went to school with royalty. And th there was a, there were situations where that person was an extremely bad character, like so bad that if it was anyone else, they would have called the police. They're, that Those are the kind wow. of activities that happened. But because of who they are and because it's so out of character, we wouldn't have associated that with you. And I can't, I can't accept that I made a bad decision and it drove the outcome. I'd prefer to be like, so there's crazy things that happen in that tech world, to your point, right? And we are notorious for it and keeping bad characters because they have produced results, which is ludicrous. I really want companies to just rethink how they're looking at, how they're looking at women of color in general when it comes to sales roles. And they were uh, coming up in time, but Chantel and I did a LinkedIn Live and it attracted 200 people with barely any advertising. And it was just on how we've been selling since we were 12. We, over conversation over dinner, we both realized we worked for our parents' businesses. Mm. And I was doing like the invoicing and proposals at 12. I didn't know what it was. I just like, it makes logical sense to me. So I'm like doing all the books and stuff. And then when I got into my first admin role at like 19, yeah. I remember going into, it was one of the big investment banks in the center of London, Merrill Lynch at the time. And they were like, how do you know what? You're literally like 19. This is way below you. Like you should be doing something else. I'm like, I've never had a job before. I just, and they're like, so how did you know all this? I said, I just worked with my dad. And they're like, wow, like, yeah. you learned a lot those seven years between being 12 and 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just talking about how we are just naturally resourceful, but that doesn't show up. I, how do I put that on my CV? 
by the way, I've been doing this for 20, 30 years because I started really young. So yeah. it's tough, Jeff. A lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. It's a great conversation for another podcast. There we go. <laughs> I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. For I know you are. I know you are. So for folks that want to follow you that are listening, that want to get in contact with you, mm-hmm. learn more about you or potentially work with you, what is the best way to get in contact with him? So two ways. Put me an email. My inbox isn't flooded yet because I just kicked it off a week ago. So it's Hannah at revenuefunnel.co.uk. But I post daily and share content on my LinkedIn, Hannah Ajikawa. Just search for me. I should come up. Still currently a LinkedIn top voice. I, I hold that dear to my heart. Awesome. So always drive more value. And also, if you go on my profile, there's some free discovery trainings. If you click the link, it will take you to a landing page. And there's like a half an hour of just free discovery talking about all the things that Jeff and I spoke about. Delivering value at each stage of the customer journey. How you start to unpack that. How you help people to build consensus internally on their problem before they start trying to speak to you as a salesperson. So those are the main places. And YouTube, Hannah Ejikawa, just search me on YouTube. I'll come up. So, uh, so yeah, Love those it. are the main ways. Love it. So we'll put all that in the in the show notes for folks. So that if Perfect. you didn't get it, if you didn't have time to write it down, if you're in the car, if you're on the train, whatever, don't worry. It's in the show notes. Uh, we'll make sure that you get all the links you need to contact Hannah. And if any of this resonated with you, feel free to reach out with her. Well, as always, it was a pleasure talking to you. I always learned something new about just the, the discipline of sales and where it is, where it's mm-hmm. going, where we are, where we're going, and what needs to happen next. So thank you for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I loved it. Thanks for having me. All right. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.